0: Hello, and welcome to Being True to You. I am your host, Lene St. John, and today we have a fascinating guest. His name is Dr. Boyd Purcell, and the topic of this interview is about spiritual abuse and terrorism. And I want to tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Purcell is a national board-certified counselor and a board-certified chaplain who Uh, has been a hospice chaplain. He has also been a psychotherapist in psychiatric hospitals, and he is an adjunct professor in the counseling department of a university graduate college. He is the author of two books that are five-star rated on Amazon. The first book is called Spiritual Terrorism, Spiritual Abuse from the Womb to the Tomb, And the second book is called Christianity Without Insanity for Optimal Mental, Emotional, and Physical Health. They are about love-based versus fear-based religion in general and Christianity in particular. Some people have reported having their lives transformed for good by having read one or both of these books. So before I get... Um, into the questions that I want to ask Dr. Purcell. I first want to uh, thank you for being on my show, Doctor. And also, if you could tell us a little bit about what got you in the place where you are today. What What made you decide to become a National Board Certified Counselor, especially about spiritual abuse and terrorism?
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. I appreciate that. And uh, what led to me doing this, doubtlessly, is because I was really spiritually abused severely to the extent I would call spiritual terrorism, because terrorism is the most extreme form of spiritual abuse. And I heard a lot of really terrible things in church. And let me say this, I had no fear of God at all until eight years of age. Up to that time, I had not been taken to church. But my parents decided at that age to start taking their children to church, to the house of God, which very soon seemed to me to be more like the house of whores rather than the house of God, because I heard so much about eternal hellfire and damnation. And hell was the place that almost all human beings were going, because I heard quoted many times Jesus' teaching, that straight is the way, and narrow is the gate, which leads to life, that is heaven. And conversely, broad is the way, and wide is the gate, that leads to damnation, and many there are who enter thereat. So, a few are going to heaven, almost everyone going to hell, and uh, hell was literal fire, and it was forever. No second chances, no ifs, ands, or buts. And heard about this every week. And uh, I just got to the point, I was just so terrorized by that. I was trying hard not to hate God, but being honest with myself, I realized that I got to the point, I did hate God. And I really was wanting to die before my 12th birthday. Now, what's the significance of 12th birthday? Well, that's what fundamental Christians usually call the age of accountability, because that was the age that Jesus went to the temple to and said he had to be about his father's business. So they extrapolate from that, that, as fundamental Christian churches do, that every child in the whole wide world, regardless of mental ability or what they've heard or not heard about uh, heaven and hell, they're fully accountable as an adult, and therefore God will judge you and condemn you to hell the same as a 12-year-old as uh, any adult. Uh, so what do 12-year-olds know? Virtually nothing. But anyway, not being the brightest kid in town, but being bright enough to figure out that if you got a 100% chance of going to heaven before age 12, and virtually none after 12, it's better not to turn 12. So I was praying, begging, pleading for God to take my life before my 12th birthday. Oh. So my 12th birthday was and remains the worst day of my life because I realized that now I was eligible to be condemned to hell forever because they quoted like 50,000 times i heard it quoted in Matthew 5.48, Jesus said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. On the one hand, I heard that human beings could not be perfect. The other is quoted in the Bible, Jesus said, You had to be perfect or you'd be condemned to hell forever. So that was a spiritual terrorism that I faced, which led to why, probably why I'm, who I am today. And that is, uh, in the helping literature uh, background like I've had, a person who's experienced that is called a Wounded Healer, and I think that really has motivated me to do the things I've done to get the education I've gotten, a college degree, and then a Master of Arts Degree in Counseling, then a Master of Divinity Degree in Biblical Studies, and a Doctor of Philosophy Degree in Integration of uh, Psychology and Theology, and then get all the certifications I've gotten along the way, to be the best I could be in all areas of the helping professions in psychology and in theology.
0: My goodness, that is extreme. Did you happen to go to a Pentecostal church when you were young?
1: Well, that was one of them. I've not said that in my books because I didn't want people to narrow this down to think, oh, well, what else can you expect from those Pentecostal churches? All the emotionalism, the legalism, and so on, because there are other churches, non-Pentecostal, who are just as abusive as the Pentecostal churches are. So I made this a general generic thing about fundamental uh, churches. Many today, almost all are calling themselves evangelicals. Fundamental has sort of gotten a bad connotation like the Flat Earth Society, but uh, almost all what were uh, The uh, fundamentalists call themselves evangelicals today, but there are a whole range of evangelicals from more liberal to very fundamentalistic.
0: Wow, that is amazing. You know, before I even knew about you, I never thought about the teaching of, you know, hell and damnation and all that. I never thought about that as spiritual abuse, and I never thought about it as spiritual terrorism. So that really kind of blows my mind that it really, truly affects people that much emotionally and mentally.
1: Well, it really does. I think anyone who is a thinking person, but what people, I think, generally do are able to somehow tune this out or compartmentalize it and maybe rationalize that, you know, they're a good enough person that God wouldn't send to hell forever but, uh, if you take what you're taught in those churches, then it's hard to escape the conclusion for a logical thinker. And I'd say this, God has either blessed me or cursed me by giving me a logical mind, an analytical mind. Uh, so it just, it's a horrifying thing to face that and to realize that, uh, that the vast majority of human beings are going to be tortured forever in literal fire by God who is love.
0: Right. Now, That's an, you, an
1: oxymoron. Yes, go ahead.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So are you saying that you yourself, at this point in your life, do you believe that there is a literal hell with fire and a literal heaven with pearly gates and gold sidewalks and things like that?
1: Well, glad you asked that question. No, uh, I do not believe in either a literal or uh, heaven or hell. I believe in heaven and hell, neither of which is literal. And I explained this in my book, uh, Christianity Without on Insanity. In fact, I mentioned uh, the book, 23 Minutes in Hell, by uh, the author. I guess I'm drawing a blank on at the moment, but I'll think of it. Uh, but anyway, the book became a New York Times bestseller. Uh, 23 Minutes in Hell, in which the author said that God actually gave him a show and tell, as it were, to show him how bad hell really is, so that he could go back, come back, and tell people how bad hell is, so to save as many people from hell as possible. Now, he said that hell is uh, in the center of the earth, and that's 12,000 degrees, which would instantly vaporize the human body. But he said God is even going to intensify that heat in order to make hell even more uh, torturous for the wretched human beings who are condemned to hell forever, again, by God who is love.
0: Is his name uh, Bill Weiss or Bill Weiss?
1: Weiss, yes, Bill Weiss, Weiss? author of 23 Minutes of Hell. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I just found that book. That is amazing. That just, oh, my goodness.
1: Oh, it really no. is. So that, that's just horrible. So there, I listed in spirit my book, Christianity and Not Insanity, nine different conceptions of hell. Uh, most Christians believe in hell, believe it's literal fire forever, but he and another author, Robert Morey, said the hell actually is worse than literal fire. So it's bad enough at literal fire because, as I said, that would instantly vaporize the human body at 12,000 oh. degrees but uh, they believe gods are going to make it worse than that, which is really spiritual insanity and spiritual terrorism. But anyway, back to your question about heaven and hell. He said that just as the physical descriptions of heaven are literal, like the pearly gates and streets of gold, so the physical descriptions of hell must also be literal. Uh, But I say that neither are literal. Heaven isn't gaudy streets of gold and pearly gates. That's just using language that people know to be beautiful things, to describe things that are indescribably beautiful in the spiritual realm. So I do believe in heaven. I believe in hell. Hell for purification, not for eternal torment.
0: Okay. So I'd like to go back to that if I can can keep that in my head to remember that. But what I want to ask you at this point then, what is... To you, what is spiritual abuse and terrorism, and what is hell?
1: Okay, well, spiritual abuse is from the perspective of the, you can look at it from the perspective of the, the abuser or those abused. Uh, the abuser is using fear to try to motivate people to do or not do whatever the abuser thinks they should do, and I'll even give them credit for Probably having good intentions, I think there are some probably have bad intentions, like building their following a larger church, a mega church, uh, getting people to go to them, giving tithes and offerings to the church, and, and increasing their wealth and some of these mega church preachers are worth millions of dollars in what people mm-hmm. pay them a uh, salary, and also the books they write that, that people then buy, and others buy as well, uh, from the uh, perspective of the person being abused it's being used and manipulated. And uh, through uh, fear of eternal torture, uh, you know, confessing your sins, accepting Christ, trying to live right at, as they say, the foot of the cross, uh, going to church every time the doors are open, tithing your income, uh, and uh, giving offerings above income, and doing evangelistic calling, and all kinds of good works, and so on, until people get almost worn out from having to work a full-time job and then be so active in the church and trying to be so good to earn the gift of eternal life. Earn the gift of, it's a gift, you can't earn it according to the Bible. For grace we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God according to work so that no person can boast. Uh, That's what the Bible says but yet there's so much work salvation taught which really is spiritually abusive. And then if you add to that abuse the fear that you're going to be tor- get tortured alive forever in literal or worse than literal fire, that really is terroristic.
0: Okay. So let me ask you this. Do you you know um, the story of David Koresh and the Waco taxes deal, right?
1: Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. It, was I he a spiritual abuser? Daughter.
0: Excuse me? Was he a spiritual abuser?
1: I would say he was, or what he was teaching was certainly spiritual abuse.
0: Okay. Okay. So, hell, to me, there I've, I've seen a bumper sticker several times over many years, and it says, Christianity is for those who believe in hell, and spirituality is for those who have been there.
1: Yes. I've so that... that.
0: Yeah, to me, that is my perception of hell, because I believe that hell is a mental and an emotional state of mind.
1: Well, it certainly is that, uh, but as far as what I understand hell to be beyond this life, it's just uh, explaining accountability for people, 100% accountability for how we treated other people in this life. I've done a lot of reading on out-of-body death experiences and near-death experiences. I have at least a dozen books on myself on that, and I ministered to hospice patients over 14 years, some who had had out-of-body death experiences, and explained that they had never shared that with anyone else, maybe for 30 or 40 years, because they're afraid that people might think they're crazy, and language is inadequate to describe the experience. Uh, But people reported from across this country, the USA, And around the world, regardless of continent or country or culture or religion, there's some commonalities of people who have had near-death and out-of-body death experiences. And if you'd like to hear those, uh, I listed those in uh, my book, Spiritual Terrorism, that there is a sense of being dead, going down a long, dark tunnel, meeting beings of light whom people recognize as their loved ones, and then they meet the being of light whom they intuitively know as God, And the being of light loves each and every person unconditionally. They feel totally loved by the being Mm -hmm. of light, while the being of light, known as God, gives each person a review of one's life. In that life review, each person sees and feels the effect one's life has had on other people. And here's the kicker, that they feel like in each case, when they see that person, they feel like they are that person. So when Jesus said to do unto others as you would have them do unto you and love your neighbor as yourself, the corollary of that is that you will feel exactly what you've done to other people It'll be done unto you exactly as you've done unto others. That's what that, hell is about.
0: That I, that is, so that's sort of like karma, right?
1: Yes, in Eastern religions, it's called karma.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. It so may be felt in this life or it can be in the next life.
0: Right, right, because I – you don't know this about me, but I have uh, four books written on Amazon.com, and the first book is called Reality in Disguise, and that talks about my near-death experience when I was only six years old. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: So yeah, that's square so, with you, what I said about out-of-body death experiences?
0: Yes, yes. Totally everything you explained is what I um, – what happened to me as well so if you go to Amazon and look up reality in disguise you can read my near-death experience I was hit by a car when I was running running across the street when I was six years old and I was in a coma for a week and the doctor had told my mother that I was going to die the night that I got hit by the car and I was in a coma the whole week and had a, whole, a near-death experience at only six years old and I explained about that in my book
1: well, that's wonderful. I look forward to reading that. Uh, so children do have such experiences, and they tend, they are not considered to be sophisticated enough to lie about them. There's a good okay. book called Closer to the Light about uh, children, and uh, so there. Are, uh, Dr. Morse has written about that of out-of-body death experiences of children. So there's a lot of information about it, and that really can uh, enhance one's love of God, one's awe of God. And by the way, when the Bible says to fear God, it's not a morbid fear, but it's to have a, a reverence for God based on a sense of awe about God, and that's what people report who've had an out-of-body death experience.
0: Well, exactly, exactly. And I have to tell you that the reason that I do what I do today is because of that near-death experience when I was six years old. Wow. So. Yeah, it's all my life since I was six years old. I knew that I did not die because I was supposed to be here to do what I do today. I, I'm a motivational speaker. I'm a life coach. I'm a tutor. I'm actually a minister, <laughs> and I do this radio show. So,
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad to glad to hear that. That's one thing about people who have the near death and out of body death experiences. Often they are I don't know if they're given a choice or. They uh, think they have an option whether to go on and be with the light or to come back. And I guess they're often told, this is not your time to go exactly. back. And then people invariably become better people. They become more spiritual, not necessarily more religious. because They may become non-religious, but very spiritual people. They're kind and loving and giving and forgiving and being wounded healers.
0: That's exactly true exactly true because i did not want to come back to this earth when i was six i i had been hit by a car i had broken my arm my mom and dad had gotten divorced and all that happened before i was six years old So wow. i knew that oh you know God. i didn't come back here i was already abused when i was a little girl and when i was in that near-death experience i just said i i don't want to come back to earth it's a bad place, and I was told that it was not my time to stay up there, that I needed to come back here, so that's why I've done all this stuff I've done since I was 17 years old,
1: so. Wow, well, that's a great uh, testimony, and that's what people report. They have a mission and a sense of uh, uh, something to do to their life, becomes very meaningful in uh, helping other people.
0: Exactly, exactly, so. I wanted to ask you, I want to find out more about this spiritual abuse because I do, I have had experience of going to different churches that preach about hell and damnation and all that. But I never, like I said at the beginning, I never knew it was called spiritual abuse and I never thought about it as being spiritual terrorism. So my other question to you would be, is spiritual abuse, due to a particular religion or sect? And if it is or is not, how widespread is it?
1: I'm not sure the first part of your question. Is it what and how widespread?
0: Is it is the spiritual abuse due to a particular religion or sect?
1: Well, it's not due to any one because there's a broad spectrum of religion which is spiritually abusive. Uh, Christianity is right up there, I think, at the top of the list, uh, being taught that uh, hell is literal fire and forever, plus all the work salvation things. Uh, But there are other religions who teach uh, the same kind of things. Because uh, George MacDonald, a great Christian writer, and who did believe in Christian universalism, said that there are fundamentalists in every religion. And fundamentalists are, by definition, are literalists. So, when they take religious literature literally, that tends to be spiritually abusive. And then, if you add the hellfire and the damnation to that, it's very spiritually terroristic. And uh, this isn't just uh, Protestant churches. The Roman Catholic Church, in my humble opinion, has been very spiritually abusive over the centuries and used to teach, at least 40 years ago, that uh, Protestants are not Christians and they're going to hell. The only salvation was in the Roman Catholic Church. I had a good friend in college who's Roman Catholic, and I told him, I was taught as we shared with each other, that I heard that Roman Catholics were not Christians. And he said, well, boy, don't feel badly. I heard the same thing in Catholic churches, that uh, Protestants are not Christians. And I did go to Catholic church to visit to find out what it was like. He says, i would never been there before. But he said he could not go to a Protestant church. Uh, the, if he did, he would then have to go to confession and confess having gone to a false place of worship. And if he died before he, he went to confession, then he'd go to hell for having gone to a false place of worship. But the Catholic Church has been changing, and in the last 40 years is generally taught that uh, Protestants are separated brethren or sisters, so they might make it. There's no guarantee. But then Pope Francis in 2013 uh, said that Jesus died for all people, so everyone is redeemed, including atheists, will become theists. Now, I said in my book, Christianity Without Insanity, in the last chapter, that a future pope would do this. At that time, Benedict was a pope. No indication he's going to retire anytime soon, but he did retire after my book was published. But I said in the book that a future pope would value the truth more than the status quo, and they would validate the truth of Christianity. Universalism for the Catholic Church and to the world. And uh, Benedict did retire. He said he would not do it because of his staunch conservatism. But a future pope would do this. And Pope Francis was in the papal office less than three months when he made that astounding statement about Jesus dying for all people, so everyone is redeemed, including atheists.
0: Right, right. I totally. I have to be honest. I totally, totally respect. Pope Francis for who he is and what he believes. He's hes amazing.
1: Well, he is. I think 90% of Roman Catholics like him and 70% of Protestants. Only the ones right. Roman Catholics don't like him are the the extreme traditionalists, super-duper right. conservatives.
0: Right, right. So do you have a figure as far as a percentage of how widespread spiritual abuse is?
1: Oh, it's very widespread, but I don't have any exact figures, no scientific um uh, Research has been done, and I think I may have been the first one to use the term spiritual abuse and spiritual terrorism uh, because it just is obvious to me in, in my counseling experience. And in being a psychotherapist in a psychiatric hospital on a Christian therapy unit, there are people there in the psychiatric hospital due to the religious teaching they had, had experienced. And oh. many being so worn out mentally and emotionally. And some had even attempted suicide. That yeah. uh, one thing that came up regularly in group therapy with the psychiatrist, Dr. Bobby Miller, uh, people would ask if I had been successful in going to and he- in, in, in taking my life. Would I've gone to hell? Now he always answered that question with a question. He right. would say, "Well, did you believe you'd go to hell if you took your own life?" And invariably, they would say yes. So then he would say, well, were you thinking about hell at the time you attempted suicide? And 100% of the time they would say no. They were just thinking of getting out of the hell, emotional hell in which they were living at the time, sometimes uh-huh. feeling physical pain, being depressed, and having panic disorder, and so on. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. So teaching of hell does not keep people from attempting suicide. Very often oh. it drives them to it. Uh,
0: there you go. I So let me ask your personal belief about that. My brother actually committed suicide. Mm -hmm. He hung himself seven months, seven and a half months to the day after my mother died of diabetes and a heart attack. So I don't believe myself that my brother would go to hell. I think he was already living hell on earth and he committed suicide to get away from the hell on earth that he was experiencing. So did you believe that people go to, quote, hell when they commit suicide?
1: No, I believe that everyone just has a life review. I think that's what Jesus was saying about hell. That there, We need to understand the uh, biblical words for hell. Uh, one is Sheol. That's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. And, uh, by the way, in Sheol... Uh, when people talk about, some today uh, teach a more nuanced hell that maybe it's not literal fire, and, but it is forever. Um, and they say, well, you're just uh, eternally separated from God. Have you heard that before? Eternally separated from God? Uh, that makes it sound better. Like God's not going to torture people, but God's going to eternally separate you from God's self. Well, in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8 of the Old Testament, the psalmist says, "O Lord, if I send up to heaven, behold, you're there. And if I send down to Sheol, translated as hell by King James and other translations, he says, behold, you're there. You're there in Sheol, hell. And if I travel in land or sea, there is no place I can go from your presence. And why? Because God is omnipresent. So one can never be separated from God for a moment, much less from for eternity. And then another word that's translated New Testament as hell is the word Hades, and uh, we, I'm sure you've heard about the rich man in hell, Jesus well. taught in uh, Luke chapter 16. That's usually used as Exhibit A by fundamentalists to uh, teach the doctrine of eternal punishment. And of course, the rich man is going to be there forever, but there's no place we're told in that parable about him being there forever. One, There are two words we need to understand. One is exegete and one is eisegete. Those are Greek words. Exegete means to read out of the text what is actually there. And eisegete means to read into it what isn't there. And there's a lot more eisegeting than exegeting going on in relation to the rich man in Hades. Now we know he cannot be there forever in that Jesus taught in the 16th chapter of Matthew, verse 18, that he built his church and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. Now I've asked many people the question, Uh, in this uh, parable of Jesus about building his church and the gates of hell not prevailing against it, what is on the offense and what's on the defense? Almost invariably, Christians tell me that the church is on the defense and hell is on the offense. And so the church is holding out with a fortress mentality, even maybe singing hold the fort, uh, afraid the hordes of hell are going to overrun the church. Have you ever thought about that?
0: Oh yeah.
1: But. But the opposite is true. This teaching of Jesus is in the form of a war metaphor in which every city of any significant size in the ancient world had a wall built around it and huge gates to uh, close and barricade when an enemy army approached. In order to take a city of any significance, one had to besiege that city for months and sometimes years or maybe a decade in order to be able to weaken enough to bring in the battering ram, ram down the gates, and, and, and capture the city. So this is a picture of Jesus saying, hell, the church is supposed to be like a mighty army, move the church of God, and he is going to get out of the defensive posture, get on the offense, and attack the very citadel of hell itself, ram down the gates, and set the inhabitants free, as evidenced by every knee bowing and every tongue confessing he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians chapter
0: two. Wow. Okay. Wow. And so the other we... word that's
1: used uh, for hell is Gehenna, and that oh, was yeah. literally the city dump of Jerusalem. It can't literally be hell. By the way, in uh, Israel today, in Gehenna, at Gehenna, there is a beautiful housing project, a nice housing project, and a beautiful park. So that's not Gehenna that Jesus was talking about, but it, it was associated then with. Uh, burning debris—it was a, the garbage dump of Jerusalem—and the bodies of criminals uh, were thrown into Gehenna because family members didn't uh, reclaim them. Reclaim them, wow. and uh, so it was a lot of shame and degradation associated with being in Gehenna. Not that the dead bodies were feeling any pain, but he said, right. and I've asked many people this question over the last 30 years: uh, if you ever heard of? Uh, Jesus, about uh, being salted with fire, and 99.99% of the time people say no, and that's not just lay people, that's pastors, priests, seminary professors, college professors of religion, both Christian and secular, and virtually no one has heard of being salted with fire. Then I Mm -hmm. ask, well, have you ever heard of uh, it being better to cut off your hand or cut off your foot or gouge out your eye than to go into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched? And ninety nine point nine nine percent of people say, Yes, oh yes, I've heard of that. Have you heard of that? Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes I
1: have. Okay, so so that's the negativism in Mark chapter nine, verses forty three through forty eight, in which Jesus said that then that the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, which sounds like this must be forever. But a quenchable fire just means fire that won't be extinguished. This will be fire that will continue to burn, consuming sin, purifying sinners until Sin is consumed and sinners are purified. And uh, we know that to be true because the next verse is the one, Mark 9:49, in which Jesus said, for, showing the connection between this and the preceding context, for everyone shall be salted with fire. Now that is a metaphor for purification. In fact, it's a mixed metaphor because Jesus took two symbols, salt and fire, both of which uh, symbolize purification in the Bible, He mixed them, I'm sure, intentionally to try to keep literal, something literal, logically, interpreting that uh, mixed metaphor literally, and yet if they've heard of it, they do it anyway. Uh, Somehow that, that strange language, it doesn't register, so they just take what sounds like the negative part, which is simply Aramaic hyperbole, and take that to mean eternal punishment.
0: Wow. Wow, you've done a lot of research, I can tell.
1: <laughs> well, I really have, and I uh, was 45 years old and a seminary graduate, went to an evangelical seminary, and uh, I kept my mind open, kept on thinking and studying, growing and studying the Greek New Testament, and that was the verse that convinced me of the truth of universal salvation, Christian universalism, Mark 9:49, in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's God in human form, said that those in hell will be salted with fire. And it's sad today, I'm still asking questions 30 years later to the clergy as well as others. And almost everyone has heard of the bodily mutilation, but no, almost no one has heard of being salted with fire. And I even have a booklet now. I have my evangelism booklet called Salted with Fire. It's the same size and uh, same uh, thickness, a number of pages, as the booklet uh, Four Spiritual Laws. Have you heard of that oh. one? That's by Campus Crusade for Christ which is predicated on being eternally separated from God, which is impossible. But over 2 billion of those booklets have been printed and distributed across the country and around the world.
0: Yeah, I, Yes, I, I actually have read it, believe it or not. But, yes, that's Bill awesome. Bill Graham's
1: booklet, uh, evangelism booklet called Steps to Peace with God, articulates the same falsehood about being eternally separated from God. And my book, is, booklet is not nearly as widely distributed as those, not even close, but maybe over time, even after I'm dead, they might continue to be, because I'm almost 74 years old at this point.
0: That blows my mind. I had no idea you were 74 years old. I was thinking you were about 50.
1: (laughs) Oh, really? Well, I have a lot of experience, but uh, I'm getting there, so uh, one doesn't know how long one has to live, but uh, I've done the best I could with... uh, what I've been given, and basically with the spiritual terrorism I experienced, I went to life basically at, uh Tibet with two strikes and one hand tied behind my back. So I've hit uh, a lot of singles and doubles and some triples, maybe a homer or two, but uh, I haven't struck out.
0: Well, that's excellent, excellent. So I do have a question for you then. What is the solution to this problem of spiritual abuse and terrorism? How do you think it can be solved?
1: Well, let me say this, before I say that, that I mentioned other religions, but especially Islam, Christianity, the two chief offenders. And if we look at the world today, in the Middle East and of ISIS, uh, we have this problem of literalism and uh, interpreting the Holy Quran literally like fundamental Christians interpret the Holy Bible. And so we have this antagonism between these two great religions. Christianity, 2 billion people, Islam with almost 1.5 billion at this point. And uh, if they're within um, Islam, There are different sects as we have in Christianity called denominations. But we have the Sufi. Have you heard of the Sufi?
0: Yes, I have.
1: Okay. You know, those are the universalists in Islam. They understand metaphorical fire. So they believe in universal salvation. Then you have the Sunnis. Most people heard that through the news. 85% of Muslims are Sunnis. Uh, We have uh, 10% plus who are Shia. Those are basically Iranians. Uh, many people think of, of Arabs as uh, are all Muslims are Arabs. they are not only about 20% of uh, Muslims are Arabs. Uh, this is really a worldwide religion. But you have, besides those three groups, you have the Wahhabis. That's Osama bin Laden's version of Islam, very conservative. But there's another one that makes the Wahhabis look, conservative, more, look more moderate. Uh, they are moderate in comparison. And those are the Salafis. You have heard of the Salafis? That is the ISIS group. Oh, uh, there you so, go. Right. So what's the solution to this? This is to understand that Christianity and Islam and all major religions and all minor ones, which I'm aware, when fires is understood metaphorically, they teach universal salvation. So I've said that when people of the world universally understand universal salvation, this will bring about universal peace. The Bible prophesies that there will be universal peace. Isaiah said that righteousness shall rush down like a mighty stream. The knowledge of the earth, uh, the Lord will fill the whole earth, and there will be nothing to harm or hurt throughout the whole world. And even uh, swords will be beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Those are implements of war being recycled into implements of agriculture.
0: There you go. So... What you're saying is that if everybody would believe in universal, um, I think you okay. said salvation. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so if everybody would believe in universal salvation, that's where there would be peace on earth, and that would be what would solve the solution to the problem of spiritual abuse and terrorism, Correct.
1: Yes, yes, it would, because then we would see ourselves as a human family. You cannot hurt another person without hurting yourself, according to what we know about out-of-body death experiences. Yeah. So we would then do what Jesus said: love your neighbor as yourself. There's a version of that in every religion, which I'm aware. Uh, do unto others, you'd have them do unto you. Some are stated in the negative, like uh, Confucius said, "Don't do to others what you don't want to do, done to you." But Jesus yeah. put it in the positive. Do unto others as you have him do unto you. So this is the universal golden rule. When we do that universally, we'll have universal peace. We're not going to have it as long as some people think we good Christians or we good Muslims are going to heaven, and God's going to damn to hell everybody else uh, throughout the whole wide world, even though God is a God of love.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. So in your opinion, do you think the world is getting worse in regards to spiritual abuse?
1: Uh, no, I don't think the world is getting worse, it just has been bad for a very long time. And I think the world as a whole is better today, and I know that the fundamentals are out there preaching that the world is a horrible place and it's getting worse in every way and every day. Uh, and It's going to get worse until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again on the clouds of glory uh, for his millennial kingdom. But I would say by any objective measure, and I say this based on the fact that I was a history political science major in college. I did, took uh, courses in world history, European history, American history, and had church history and seminary. And mm-hmm. the world has been a very violent place for a very long time. Actually, it's better today than any time in that in ancient world, women were ju- and children were chattel owned by a man, owned by a mm-hmm. husband, and uh, children had no rights. And uh, even in our country, until the uh, last century, women could not even vote and uh, children were often losing lives and limbs in factories and mines and uh, doing menial, hard-labor jobs. But we made uh, education free and then made it compulsory in this country so the parents could not keep their children out of school in order to work. So we're making progress as a human family. Other uh, modern countries have done the same thing, Western Europe and uh, now more in Eastern Europe and Russia Japan. Uh, China and so on. So the world has actually gotten better and overall it's getting better. Now, we could blow it by having a nuclear war through getting people in office who are trigger happy and uh, may end up starting a nuclear war. But uh, if we do, if there is one, then we'll have to live with it and clean up the mess. And my mother was a very wise woman who always said, if you make a mess, you have to clean it up. So if we do have a war, we have a nuclear war. God is not going to bail out the born againers. Take them home to heaven. Let everybody else live with the mess. Everyone who was here is going to have to live with it. Who's not been killed, live with it and clean up the mess. And we'll eventually, even though it might take a war to do that, a catastrophic war will eventually stop our warring ways and learn to live in peace with one another.
0: There you go. There you go. So, could you explain to me um, what about the biblical prophecy? that is in regards to this whole thing. Can you explain that to the listeners?
1: Well, I sure would like to do that. I'll give it my best. Uh, basically, it amounts in biblical prophecy to this, like horrible things are going to happen, like in the book of Revelation. Well, first of all, the book of Revelation is not literal. I keep hearing that in the fundamentalists I heard the whole life. But the Revelation is highly metaphorical, one of the most metaphorical books in the world. The people say, some fundamentalists, that the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Have you heard that? Uh, yeah. So uh, biblical prophecy is always based on present conditions and not changing. So if the conditions under which the prophet uh, prophecy was based don't change, then the prophecy will be fulfilled. But we need to understand if the conditions change, then the prophecy won't be fulfilled. And I can give you a perfect example of that. Uh, that is the case of Jonah. Almost everyone has heard about Jonah, right? Uh, he didn't want to go to Nineveh, or God told him to go and preach judgment to the Ninevites because the Ninevites were notoriously cruel people. And the message was from God through Jonah to preach to the Ninevites and tell them because of their, sinful, their sinfulness and wickedness that in 40 days... Jonah would, that uh, Nineveh would not might be destroyed. But Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. So he got on the ship to go to Tarshish. God caused a great storm to come up. Uh, they were trying to figure out why this terrible storm. And Jonah confessed he was getting, trying to run away from God, which is ridiculous since uh, Jonah, God is omnipresent. But uh, nevertheless, he was. So he, uh, was th- the crew threw him overboard. And then the sea was calmed, and Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. Now, some people say a whale, but the text says that it was a great fish that God had prepared for Jonah. Now, this is all a metaphor. It's not a literal happening, and we know that for one time, based on the uh, story about Jonah. In that, I understand the Hebrew, the fish that swallowed Jonah was a he-fish. But after being in the fish... The fish became a she-fish, and then the she-fish didn't vomit him up on dry land. She delivered him, as though giving birth to him, onto dry land, and then Jonah went on his way to Nineveh. So in Nineveh, he, excuse me?
0: I'm I'm sorry. I, I, was, um, I was amazed because I know the story of Jonah and the whale, but I didn't know about the he-fish and the she-fish. That kind of blows my mind.
1: Isn't it though? That's fascinating. I was told that by Dr. Rocco Erico, who spent his life studying Aramaic and Hebrew and uh, written a couple of really interesting books, uh, including that information and talking personally. Rocco Errico. So Erico. So, E R I C O, if anyone would like to look that up. Uh, so, anyway, uh, obviously that can't be true. And also, that Jonah's name means dove, but Jonah was acting like a lion. So this is basically a hilarious uh, drama. Uh, it's a comedy almost. So Jonah then went under Nineveh and he preached judgment to the Ninevites. And again, he pre- he was not iffy in saying, you know, unless you repent, he just preached that in 40 days you are going to be destroyed because of your great sinfulness. But the the king repented all the people. Now, when fundamentalists have crusades like Billy Graham and Oral Roberts and uh, others, they always say, oh, we had a great crusade. We had uh, 100 people or 150,000 uh, people whatever, who prayed to receive Christ, and they're delighted. But in this case, we have a great city in the ancient world of probably more than 100,000 people, and 100% of them repented, and then God heard them, and God forgave them, and withheld judgment. Now, do you think Jonah was happy about that? I've asked people that, what happened after they repented? Well, Jonah was so upset because he wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed uh, because if he had thought that they would have been destroyed after priest, he would have gone as fast as he could, gone by the shortest route and paid his own way. But he, he said in the last chapter of Jonah, the fourth chapter, that he was out overlooking the city and he was lamenting to God that God had not destroyed the city. And he said, oh, God, I, essence, this is why I didn't want to go in the first place, because I knew that you're a great God, you're loving, compassionate, and abounding in mercy. I knew that if I went and preached to them, they're going to repent, you're going to forgive them, and withhold mercy. So in essence, that's why I didn't want to go in the first place. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yeah, pra- so de- he's so depressed by anger turned inward that he asked God, pleaded with God, please take my life, because I'd rather die than to live. All
0: right. So
1: there, obviously, the prophecy was based on the Ninevites not repenting. But when they did repent, then God heard them, forgave them, withheld judgment. And God, if he loved the hated Ninevites, notoriously cruel people, then he loves and will forgive everyone in the whole world when people repent and ask God's forgiveness. Right. Right. Several times in the Revelation, it says these terrible things will happen unless you repent. Someday, everyone will repent.
0: So you, because the fact that someday everyone will repent, do you believe that there will ever truly be peace on earth?
1: Eventually there will be. It may take a long time because God is not going to force or coerce anyone into believing. But Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 32, that if I be lifted up from the earth, meaning on the cross, being crucified, he said I will draw all People to myself. Now you can't do that and leave even one person in eternal punishment, or annihilate anyone. There are some people who believe in annihilation of unbelievers rather than them being tormented forever. But God can neither annihilate nor torture anyone forever, or Jesus can never draw all people to Himself. And Paul, the Apostle Paul said in First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 15 that even as all die in Adam, even so all will live in Christ. And that's 100%. And then the 28th verse, he said, and God the Father will become all in all. The Revised Standard Version translates that as, he'll become everything to everyone. That would be impossible if anyone is annihilated or is tortured forever.
0: Right. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, so, we'll, basic logic. There you go. Exactly. So, is there a happy, or even a perfect ending to the great redemption story?
1: Well, there's a happy one and a perfect ending to the great redemption story, and that is the perfect ending. When Jesus has drawn all people to himself, God has become all in all, all living in Christ, and every knee is bowed. And notice in Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11, this is every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In a 3 storied first-century cosmology, under the earth would be Satan's domain. So even Satan and the fallen angels and all those in hell are bowing their knee to God because hell is going to be destroyed and all are going to be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And then according to Revelation 5.13, John looked and beheld every created being in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. That is pushed to the point of redundancy to be sure that the reader does not uh, fail to understand that there's not one created being who will be excluded from this great uh, scene of adoration and worship, for they'll be singing to the one who sits on the throne, that is the Lord God Almighty, and to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessing, glory, dominion, and power forever and ever. That is the eternal state.
0: Here you go. Now, in the in
1: Revelation, in chapter 20, it talks about the devil and unbelievers and uh, the false prophet uh, being thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. And I've asked many people this question, uh, the same people ask about being salt in the fire. And I say, have you, ever, uh, you heard of the lake of fire and brimstone? Oh, yes, I've heard of that. They say, can you tell me the, the definition of the word brimstone? And virtually no one can. A chemist, a PhD chemist, told me the meaning of it. And uh, he said that it's sulfur. And he said that theoretically, you could make a sulfur compound that would cure any bodily infection. Now, sulfur was the wonder drug in the ancient world that penicillin is today. So a modern medicinal analogy would be a fiery like a penicillin to cure sin infection. So other things are be thrown into this, like of, uh, burning sulfur, which is how the New International Version translates that, by the way. And death and Hades are going to be thrown into it. Uh, so is going to be disinfected. People are going to be cured of the sin. They have, so there are different metaphors that are used to explain how that the sin is going to be destroyed and people are going to be purified, healed, cured of their sin. And it's a beautiful picture. We understand the symbolic language.
0: That's, yeah, yeah, I was reading that in one of the um, downloads that you gave me, and I had, I knew when I even was a little girl, I knew that um, hell was brimstone and sulfur, but I had no clue that sulfur was a healing compound and that that was a um, sort of uh, symbolic of healing the, quote, sins of people. So when you wrote your book, Christianity Without Insanity, the subtitle was for optimal mental, emotional, and physical health. So I'm assuming that the sulfur and the brimstone part of hell is sort of what symbolically cures or heals the physical part of the human being. Is that correct?
1: Well, that's possible, but that's not what well, in mind as far as the subtitle. It's really based on the principle of psychopathology, which says anything that affects the mind affects the body. What affects the body affects the mind. Uh, so you can't compartmentalize uh, your mind like some people think you can. Uh, so if the, mind, if the spirit is healed, overall we should think in terms of the spiritual, the mental, the physical, uh, emotional, physical uh, part of oneself. So the whole person is what's to be dealt with, not the compartmentalized person. So God is about the business of destroying evil and reconciling the universe to God's self. So when we understand that, then we're going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus said to love God with your mind. And I submit that you cannot love God with your mind if you're taught nonsense things that make absolutely no sense, things that are spiritually abusive and even terroristic, you can't love God. You'll end up hating God like I did as a child until you come to understand this wonderful, unconditional, everlasting love of God for all people.
0: So is it correct of me to say that when the spiritual part of us is healed, the mental, the emotional, and the physical part of us will also be healed?
1: I would say, Yes, yeah, certainly, in the life to come we'll be whole persons in every sense of the word, and have bodies that will know no decay, uh, which will know no pain, no suffering, no sorrow, as the revelation says that all these things are passed away, and God wipes the tear from every eye, so it 's going to be a wonderful place of existence, and that 's why people which have some glimpse of this and out-of-body near-death experiences, do not want to come back to this life because it's so much more wonderful and grand and glorious in the next realm, in the realm of heaven, than what is here in this life.
0: Right, exactly. I truly believe that, too, because I actually saw that um, perfect life when I was in the near-death experience that I had. Um, I saw what it was like across the bridge that people talk about. Um, I could see it, and I was in part of it. So I think it's fascinating. I would love to talk to you for hours and hours about this, but our time is almost up. So I wanted to know, usually when um, I have guests on my show, I have them offer a free gift or what I call a spiff to listeners um, on the day that they're the guest on my show. So, for example, um, if you gave away a free copy of your book, maybe it would be to the first listener that would contact you, or maybe the first and the tenth listener, or something like that. What do you have to offer as a free gift to the listeners today?
1: Well, I'll be glad to give the PDF of anyone uh, for my book, Christianity Without Insanity, not just the first 10, but the first 20 or 50 or however many may contact me. I'll be glad to send that to them free of charge. Wow. I hope they would read it. It would help them. And uh, hopefully they might write a review of it. If they really like it, it's helpful. Uh, they might write a five-star review. Uh, but that's not a condition for receiving the book. But uh, right now there are 36 reviews of uh, that. I think I'll put a couple five stars of people reporting their lives having been transformed for good and there are like 76 I think reviews of Christianity or of spiritual terrorism so I just wanted to help people and uh, uh, I didn't write the books to make money uh, it'd be nice if some were may not be generously helping others and putting more back into helping victims of spiritual terrorism but I did it to help people not to make money.
0: That's wonderful the fact that you're willing to give away fifty of them free that tells me you right you're not out for the money.
1: So more than that, if a hundred people contact me, I'll be glad to send a yeah. hundred or however many. I'd also send my book outreach booklet, Salted with Fire.
0: Awesome, awesome. Now, if anybody that is listening wanted to get a hold of you to to speak with you or have a consultation with you, what are the ways that they can reach you?
1: Uh they can reach me through my website although uh, or my uh, email. Uh the e- by the way, the website is Christianity Without or healing spiritual Either of those brings you to the same place the website. I had them combined. initially they were separate but now combined. And then uh you can just email me to doctor Dr. Boyd Purcell. That's B O Y D P U R C E L L at Gmail.com. Or if you want to talk with people, uh, my uh, phone number is 304 766 9899.
0: Okay. And I want to repeat the email because you are a doctor, so you put the initials D R and then you have to put a period after D R before your name on your uh, Gmail uh, email, correct?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Okay, wonderful. So, um, Dr. Purcell, it has been fascinating to have you on my show today. You are amazing and all the things you've studied and all the knowledge you have. I really, really appreciate it, and I hope that all the people that are listening today can really consider everything that you've said and, and uh, get copies of your book and, and pass it on to other people because... I think the biggest thing that we need in the world right now is to have spiritual peace. With everything that's going on in politics and ISIS and the world in general, we definitely need peace on this planet.
1: Well, we certainly do. And I would just like to leave people with the admission that I put in my book, Spiritual Terrorism, from St. Francis Bacon, Who was an English philosopher from 1561 to 1626, and he said, Read not to contradict and confuse, nor to believe and take for granted, but to weigh and consider. I first saw that great quote on the library wall to Boulder Green State University back in 1962 when I was just a freshman. I was so impressed by that. I quickly committed to memory, and I've lived by that for the rest of uh, my life so far over 40 years.
0: Wow. And can you say that statement again?
1: Yes. Read not to contradict and confuse, nor to believe and take for granted, but to weigh and consider.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, Dr. Purcell, it has been a pleasure having you on my show. I really um, look forward to uh, reading more about you in the future, maybe if you write another book. Um, I will definitely spread the word. And all the listeners here, um, I, I beg you to please spread the word about this gentleman um, to your friends, to your family, because definitely the biggest thing, like I said, is that we need to have spiritual peace on this planet. Thank you again, Dr. Purcell, for being my guest. And everybody that listens, thank you so much for being here this week, and join us next week for another fascinating guest. Take care, God bless you, and have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye.